All right, well, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, welcome, everyone. We're really happy to have you here tonight at Lake State um, Library's inaugural sustainability series talk. <laughs> uh, my name is Allie Van Doren. I'm one of the uh, librarians here at Lake State. And our director, Mark Boucher, couldn't be here tonight, but he sends his thanks to everyone who was able to make it. Uh, I'd like to point out that we have refreshments over here, so please help yourself. Uh, and before I introduce our speaker, I'm going to just cover a few items. Uh, this fall, we started our lecture series at the library, and we've been very pleased with how well uh, they've been received on campus and in the community. Uh, we will be continuing the series in the spring. We have scheduled speakers for the artist series, the poetry series, the writer series, and scholar series. So keep an eye out for our posters, which will be coming soon. And of course, follow us on Facebook because we do post our events there as well. Um, we are podcasting and live streaming tonight's talk. So if you want to revisit or share the presentation with friends or family um, or coworkers, please visit our LakerCast page. You can get to it from the library's homepage uh, where you'll find tonight's talk and all of the previous speakers' lectures, as well as recordings of other events around campus. And just a reminder, turn off your ringer on your cell phone if you haven't already. And now it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker tonight. Mark Van Doren possesses nearly 20 years of experience in environmental consulting and brownfields redevelopment. He has consulted with communities and real estate developers throughout Michigan in Brownfield's redevelopment strategy, reuse planning, financing, and environmental cleanup. He earned a Bachelor of Science, uh, Bachelor of Science, not silence, believe me. <laughs> a Bachelor of Science from, in hydrogeology from Western Michigan University and a Master of Business Administration from the Stephen M. Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. Mark is joining Smith & Company Real Estate here in Sault Ste. Marie, where he will focus on commercial real estate and Brownfields redevelopment. He resides in Brimley, Michigan with his wife, Allie, his son, Max, and faithful companion, Brown Dog Brown. Let's give a warm welcome to Mark Van Dorn. Hang on just a second. Right. I'm going to give you guys something to think about. I want to make a splash. Redevelopment dollars invested as a result of EPA Brownfields grants, which is something we're going to talk more about. I'm going to give you one more chance. How about that one? Jobs created as a result of EPA Brownfields grants. Not directly, but indirectly. What I mean is that these grants were used as investment money, seed money for redevelopment projects that created the investment in the end and then the jobs. It'd be nice to add to that number, wouldn't it? So let's take a look at how we're going to do that. Um, first, we've got to get some things out of the way. We're going to define a brownfield site, give you an understanding of the definition, how these sites are created. 
talk a little bit about redevelopment, the basics, how to imply, apply financial incentives. I'll give you a couple of my favorite success stories. And then Rebecca Boland from the EUP Planning and Development Group is here to talk about a new Brownfield Coalition um, that we've started here in the EUP. Okay, Allie went through that, so let's move on. Brownfield Basics. <clears throat> let's get some acronyms out of the way. EPA's Environmental Protection Agency, MDEQ's Michigan Department of Environmental Quality, and MDC, MEDC's Michigan Economic Development Corporation. EPA and MDEQ define brownfield site is contaminated. MEDC adds to that list to include blighted, functionally obsolete, and historic properties. <clears throat> Some local examples you might know about. The coal dock, contaminated. The former Quality Inn on the business spur, blighted, could also be functionally obsolete. I picked the Charles T. Harvey Mar Marina as functionally obsolete because the docks are falling apart. It's a marina without fuel service. Um, may not be because you need to have an assessor assess the property and certify it. And then historic, I picked the M-Bank building. I'm not sure if it's technically historic, but it, it has historic um, characteristics. Any other sites you can think of? Lime piles? Anywhere. You got it. And what's, and what do we think would be wrong with that? What do you think qualifies it as a brownfield? Blighted could be one. Functionally obsolete. Not much you can do with that piece of property. Right? It's small. If a developer wanted to look at that, what would they do? Needs parcel consolidation. Probably also contaminated. I bet it's an old gas station and auto service repair shop. Yeah, but the soil and groundwater below it, right? Anything else? All right. Could be. Right. Now there's a thing we're skipping over a little bit here because this is just an introduction um, to brownfields. But the definition of a brownfield, whether it's DEQ, EPA, or MEDC, uh, in only certain communities can it qualify under blighted, functionally obsolete, and historic. And that's usually your larger communities with uh, um, bigger issues to deal with. Right. Let's talk a little bit about how a brownfield site is created. There's, these are two basic workflows. We think about our past as uh, industrial manufacturing, right? We had this incredible economic boom in the early part of the last century. And from an environmental perspective, it basically went unchecked, right? Lots of hazardous material, storage, use, disposal. Um, and with that came a lot of unregulated dumping. Companies grow, they contract, eventually they decide we're done. So they leave the site. 
with that caused creation of many of the brownfield sites that you see in the country. So let's think about things like Love Canal. Have you heard of Love Canal, right? That's a brownfield site. That was one of the first ones. What was that movie with um, Julia Roberts? Um, what was that one? Aaron Brockovich, right? That's about super fun. So in the late 70s, Congress went, we've got to do something about this, right? So they passed CERCLA, Comprehensive Environmental Response Liability Act. CERCLA was meant to fund two, two things, fund these contaminated sites and to clean up the worst of them, right? But also to hold the liable parties liable for the cleanup, right? <clears throat> but there was a glitch. Because CERCLA was designed in Superfund, were designed just to care for the most hazardous sites, they entered them on a list called the NPL, the National Priority List. Those sites would get funding for these abandoned sites. And when we, we think about abandoned sites, you, you might be thinking, well, why isn't the liable party paying for it? Well, who from Packard is going to pay for the Packard plant? There's nobody left. And because we lack the framework and the legislation and the laws to deal with it, we're kind of stuck with it, right? So the glitch was really, we've only got enough money to deal with the worst sites. What about all the other sites? What about the smaller sites? What about the coal dock? What about the tannery? Well, that's actually, that's actually the EUP's, that's the UP's only Superfund site. That's a bad example. Think of another industrial site that's small enough where it might not get Superfund funding, but it's too contaminated to actually do something with it without significant cost. Demolition, environmental cleanup, et cetera, right? There was also another glitch in CERCLA, and that was strict liability, right? If you cause the contamination, you're liable. If you buy the property and you didn't cause the contamination, you're liable. What do you think that would mean to a developer? It wouldn't touch it, right? Brownfield site. Another example is similar, but it's a little bit different because this scenario here is post-environmental regulation. Company goes bankrupt. Could be a gas station, could be a manufacturer, all kinds of examples. They lack the funds to address the contamination. The regulators lack the funds to address the contamination, either through state programs, Superfund doesn't belong on the list. It's not bad enough federal dollars, but it's bad enough. You can't re re redevelop it without much, uh, without a lot of investment. <clears throat> brownfield site. And the interesting thing about how brownfield sites can be created under this scenario is that even if there is a liable party and they're bankrupt, and even if they had some funds to do work, They've only got to do enough to meet what's called due care, which means if you've got metals contamination in the soil and the pathways direct contact, 
You know what they need to do to clean that up? And meat do care? Put a fence around it. So they're not really cleaning up, they're restricting exposure. Right? Brownfield site. Before I move on, let me pause. Questions, comments, anything to add? No? All right. Let's talk a little bit now about programs we can use to address these brownfield sites. Let's start with a very basic workflow. All right, you sit there. This is my son, Max. When I say go, you click it to the next one, right there. Okay. That one on the right. All right. Basic brownfield redevelopment workflow. Develop a community vision. This is where the community planning comes in. <clears throat> and what I mean is things like your master plan. Do you have an updated master plan? Do you know what you want your community to look like? Do you have a downtown development authority? What's their plan, right? Is the community thinking about this? Are you documenting plans? Because this, developing community vision, is the basis everything that comes after it. Because unless you've got your vision, you don't know which sites you want to prioritize, right? And you want to try to match your redevelopment sites or your conceptual ideas with what the community wants, right? The next step is, act, is to evaluate the reuse options. And what this is, is let's say we've got the look insurance building and maybe we can consolidate the parcels around it. Well, what do we want to do with it? We have a target market analysis on housing from the EUP planning group. It says we have some demand for housing, condos, market rate apartments. Will that work? Does it fit the master plan? Similar in the DDA that we have three sites downtown we're trying to market. What can we do with them? The next step is the investigation. This is the environmental work, the science part of it, the phase one, the phase two, trying to evaluate and determine the levels of contamination so that you know what you need to do to make the site safe for its intended use or even just your reuse options, right? The next phase is cleanup. And you typically don't go through the investigation Let's talk a little bit about EPA brownfields incentives. These are the incentives 
and level the playing field for brownfield sites. We get developers interested in these sites because we've got money to do that environmental cleanup. We've got money to do the investigation. Many developers won't even undertake the investigation phase without these incentives. They drop $150,000 on an investigation for a big site just to find out that it's too contaminated. They're out 150 grand, right? <clears throat> EPA has several programs for those four phases in the workflow. First, we're going to talk about those assessments. This is the EPA assessment funding. This is to do the environmental investigation work at brownfield sites. And the arrow's there because we have more information on that and an application we're working on for this region. Cleanup is just what it says. Environmental cleanup. Soil removal, groundwater remediation, sometimes demolition. Revolving loan fund, it's another type of cleanup grant. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second. Area-wide planning grant, so this is for brownfield planning. This could actually go back to the, the visioning part. You want, if you want to include brownfield planning in your master plan or your DDA or other parts of your community, um, that's a good grant for that. Environmental jobs training. This one is a little away, the next to a little bit away from the, the contamination and the cleanup piece. Environmental jobs training is a really interesting program where EPA funds money to develop educational programs to develop the next generation of environmental scientists. Last environmental jobs training grant I wrote was for several communities southwest of Detroit. And they funded a program at Macomb County Community College to develop environmental techs. And when I think about that, I think about Bay Mills Community College, I think about Lake State, right? Environmental justice is another interesting one. This is with EPA, but it's not in the Brownfields program. This program is for, to address, let's just leave it at that, to address disproportionately affected citizens in our community regarding environmental exposure. So we're thinking about minorities, low-income people. We've done some of this work in Detroit, right? So it's planning. Um, to fund that. Next slide. All right, Michigan incentives. I kept this very basic. DEQ, brownfield grants and loans, similar to the EPA work. In fact, a lot of their, a lot of their funds are funded through EPA grants. Tax increment financing, which I'll talk about next. I'll give you a little bit more detail. And then the MEDC and MISHDA have programs. MEDC, remember, this is the group that does the redevelopment incentives. So they're gonna do things like grants and loans for startups, planning, right? They used to do a tax credit, but they don't do that anymore. And then MISHTA is for housing, low-income housing. We've, we've layered a lot of those incentives um, in Detroit. Next slide. All right, here's a little explanation on tax increment financing. This isn't a grant. This is more like a tax refund. If there's an accountant in the room or an attorney, it's not a tax refund. But 
is how it works practically. You have a base value of $100. We're going to stick with the look insurance building. They're getting taxed $100 a year for that property. The developer comes along and says, hey, I want to redevelop it then. I got a great idea. So they do the project, right? And now the new project, you just raise the taxable value to $300. Big, beautiful building, apartments above, beautiful. Well, that $200 tax increment can be used to repay the developer for eligible activities. And I had Allie make me this cool little thing next door to talk just a little, about, a little bit about the eligible activities. I don't want to get into too much detail, but it's generally cleanup, infrastructure improvements in communities like the Sioux, demolition, site prep, asbestos and lead abatement, and cleanup planning. Does that make sense? Yep. How are you doing? Does that make sense? Okay. Remember the EPA revolving loan fund? It's a grant. It's a grant. You capitalize a, a fund through this grant, and you loan it out. Again, we've got the redevelopment project, right? We're going to loan them money to do the cleanup. We're going to tear the building down, right? We're going to get it all ready to go vertical. We paid for that with the RLF. Then, remember that tax increment, 200 bucks? We're going to use that 200 bucks to repay the loan back to the community for the eligible expenses. And now that loan loan it back out for the next project. Capture the taxes, pay off the loan, put it back in the fund. So EPA provides the seed money for an RLF. The last application I wrote for the same communities, we won $4 million for an RLF. We loan it out, do brownfield plan, do tax capture, pay it back, it goes right back into the local fund. The cool thing about an EPA RLF, because there's all kinds of requirements when you use EPA money. When that money gets paid back in the local fund, the EPA strings are cut. Which means you get to decide how to spend it now. This has been an incredibly impactful program for Brownfield. RLFs pay for the heavy duty cleanups, right? Next. All right. Let's talk a little bit about a strategy we would use with the developer to apply all these incentives we've just talked about. I've always called it a layer cake. You're packaging financial incentives for different sources to create one big financial incentive package. This is a very powerful economic development tool. This is what developers look for when we're talking about brownfield redevelopment. This works best for your larger sites, but it can work on any site. And I say larger sites because they're more expensive. It doesn't have to always include these. But first, you start with the federal and state grants, the environmental work. Maybe there's another grant in there somewhere. I always put other in there. We've got a developer now. We're going to do a brownfield plan and tax capture. 
We're going to capture those taxes. We're going to pay the developer back for eligible expenses, or we're going to pay that RLF back, right? And then this top part is traditional financing. So this would be more of the project stuff, you know, the vertical infrastructure, right? The actual build. And then I have the eligible activities over there to remind you that it's for only certain activities. Does that make sense? And this is something we've done a lot um, in the past. A lot of that work you're seeing in Detroit now, the redevelopment, my team did a lot of the incentives in the environmental work um, for that 15 years ago. Um, I can remember walking around some really scary buildings that are now just beautiful, right? And I did do work at the Packard plant. Hey, Max, I need you over here. Does it make sense? I'm going to pause. Any questions? Comments? Nothing? Next slide. All right. I'm going to tell you about two of my favorite success stories. One is in Jackson and one is in Wyandotte. Max, next slide. This is the Army Arts Building in Jackson. It was formerly known as the Mai High Building. This is an industrial facility attached to the state's oldest prison. This site was contaminated, volatile organics, metals, PCBs, you name it, it was there. <clears throat> we worked with the city of Jackson, Jackson County, and the developer, packaged those incentives. Remember we talked about the layer cake? To do the environmental investigation, to do the environmental cleanup. We were able to knock that building down. And in its place came a live-work facility for artists. So it was really a low-income housing project. So we work with MEDC and Mish on that too. But it's a live-work place for artists. They live there, they work there, they sell their stuff. Studios below, apartments above. Really cool project. All right, let's give you the next one. This was Lavity Park in Wyandotte. This was a million square foot abandoned industrial facility in Wyandotte, right smack dab in the middle of a residential neighborhood. Attractive nuisance, contaminated as heck. We used, we used a DEQ, a million dollar DEQ cleanup grant for that. Use some of the EPA assessment money to get the ball rolling. And then we did tax capture. I think we even used some RLF on that. And now it's this beautiful mixed use development. I think there's 90 single family homes, apartments, condos. There's a big natural park there too. And it's right across the street from the Detroit River. Uh, it's beautiful. And there's all kinds of other examples out there too. All right. All right, just a little capstone for you on Brownfield benefits. Job creation, you redevelop sites, you're gonna create jobs, permanent or temporary construction jobs, right? Permanent jobs, whether you have tenant, if it's a commercial space or retail, office, right? I think we could attract a new company with the prospect of a redeveloped, a redevelopment opportunity in town. Probably could. Increase tax base. Eventually, if we use TIF, we're capturing some of that increment to pay back those eligible activities, right? But it does go back to, to the community. Environmental remediation, blight removal, infrastructure improvements, and of course, new development. And there are a lot more benefits than that. I just highlighted the, the bigger ones, my favorites, let's say. Next. 
Okay, yay, my favorite part. We have, well, let's say I had an idea, Allie, 15 years ago, right? About bringing these incentive programs here to the region. And I always thought, what a cool idea if we could get the counties in the UP region, the city of Sault Ste. Marie, and both tribal governments to form a coalition to go after some of that EPA money, right? So when we officially moved here, I started banging on doors. And as a result, next slide, we got it. We're still working out a couple details, but we got commitments verbally or in writing from each of these entities to form the EUP Brownfield Coalition. The idea of this coalition is regional cooperation, right? We're a small region, we're rural, we're resource constrained. Let's band together and work on brownfield redevelopment as a region. We had a conversation with EPA a couple weeks, a couple days ago, and we're still trying to get official confirmation, but we think that this is the only tribal, non-tribal, brownfields coalition in the country. That's EPA administrator kind of attention right there, you guys. That's huge. It's gonna bring buzz to the region, right? It hasn't been done. So with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Rebecca, who's gonna talk a little bit more about the coalition, a little bit more about the grant opportunity because the grant coalition is going to be administered by the EUP planning and development. Where's your this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That one. This one still? All right. Uh, good evening. Max, are you still going to help me with the slides? All right. Uh, I'm just going to. Ready for that one? Okay. I think. Most of you know me, uh, in case you don't. I am a planner at Eastern Upper Peninsula Regional Develop Development Commission. Uh, and I formerly worked in just in Mackinac County, so now I'm throughout the region. Uh, my background's a little bit different, but uh, my education exists. We can move on from that. Next. Next. So the assessment grant that we're applying for uh, covers just that first bit. Um, we can use the funds to inventory sites throughout the region. It would cover, to my understanding, every square mile of the three counties, uh, maybe with the exception of tribal trust lands, but they have funding for that too, so it actually couples with programs already in place. Uh, well, and then all of their other properties are still covered, yeah. Um, we then, after we inventory the sites, identify some priorities which fit in with all of our great plans that we have for all of our communities, right? Uh, then the site assessment, um, and Jen, don't hesitate to fact check me on this, uh, but you do your phase one, which then determines what is going to be necessary for phase two. The phase two will tell you if and what is necessary for a baseline assessment. Um, environmental assessment, 
So those three things go under that category. Uh, cleanup planning is included in the baseline environmental assessment. And uh, then, of course, community involvement. And that involves outreach about brownfields and educating people about that. And also, I mean, how many of you have actually been through like the visioning process that we do at planning? It becomes so secondhand for me that I'm like, everybody does this. And it turns out that's not true. <laughs> but you, know, you go out to your community, you get opinions on um, what we want it to look like, where we'd like to see it go, what kind of development. And so that actually helps with both the inventory is a brownfield to brownfield, but the site prioritization in particular, too. Um, so community involvement is kind of spliced in throughout all of these. Yeah, and community involvement also helps to build uh, demand. Mm -hmm. Ready for the next one? Oh, next. Oh, that's it. Sorry, I saw the same colors out of the corner of my eye. And yeah, uh, this is eligible entities to apply for the grant. Yeah, and this is general, state, tribe, yeah. government entity, local unit of government, or regional council, like the EUP plan. I just mm. wanted to point that out because I don't want you walking away thinking an individual can apply for EPA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have to at least be a local unit of government. Yeah. And, and um, coalitions could apply too, but you decided that you decided that <laughs> well, administrator, and that actually is an important thing to address. Our what EUP planning sees is our roles: covering the administration, making sure everyone's at the table and has the information that they need, and then having the communities each have a vote on the different applications. The communities can bring this back to, well, the representatives of the communities bring it back to their boards, community meetings, things like this to kind of spread the word, hey, there's this opportunity, hopefully get applications from their area, which then go to the coalition to vote on. Um, you guys have administrative experience, yeah. right? EPA wants to see that. The concept is, is that each coalition member will send a representative develop some controls, right, and processes around how do we select sites, how much do we fund, right, how do we make sure it's equitable, uh, and, and we can help with that, um, but it's really, it's really the coalition's grant being administered by the EDP plan. I, years ago, I worked on the very first coalition in the country, which is the Downriver Area Brownfield Consortium. They were the ones who created the concept, which is now in the EPA grant members, they had site selection forms, they had a process to approve sites, right? Um, and it was amazing how well they worked together. And um, I saw the power of that collaboration with both of those sites that I showed you, 
Well, one of the Wyandotte sightings in the ABC, the Jackson one was in Jackson County. But the ABC has leveraged maybe over $100 million for, for projects over the past 20 years. They were, they were the very first EPA pilot grant awardee back in 1995. Um, and if you look at them today and the work that they've done, you take some really nasty sites and really turn them around. So, um, and I think the power of a coalition and the power of us working together on our shared goals and also helping each other with our individual goals as communities is really impactful. We talk about at our board meetings all the time, bringing these resources together and the REDAC meetings and the UPCDC meetings. But we can resource share, knowledge share, and ultimately come out stronger. It also allows us to apply for a larger pot of money. Uh, so that's helpful. 600,000 um, instead of what? 200. 400,000. Well, oh. let's say CDC is taking the apply on their own, they could do 200,000. Yeah. For hazardous substances, it's 200,000 dollars for patrolling. Patrolling is gasoline, hazardous substances. So we've got a larger pot of money, but we have less population density, things like that, and so we can spread it around where it's needed. Okay. Um, I think that's it. We were, we actually, we skipped to the next slide. Oh. Go ahead. Oh, I, there I we go. put this in at the last minute. Remember the workflow that we had about brownfield redevelopment, how the process works? We envision cleanup and redevelopment in case you can't read them. wisely and you do great projects, you're going to be able to go out to clean up money next year or the year after, right? And then you can even go after a planning grant, environmental mm -hmm. justice grant, job training grant. Yep. Okay. So I wanted to just point out that that's the, the current funding that we're going after. Um, another important point about the current funding that we're going after, uh, uh, yeah, um, I didn't have a slide on this. Uh, a lot of the time we talk about brownfield redevelopments and we look at these huge projects that have taken place, right? Several million dollars, several hundred million dollars, things like this. The assessment funds and most brownfield tools um, are available to any developer, any new project. So it can be a smaller, I'm going to create seven jobs, I'm going to redevelop, um, you know, that vacant building downtown um, or that old contaminated site into mixed use because we want everything to be mixed use and it's you know we can look at these smaller projects too and so local investors local businessmen will also be able to draw on these funds it's about yes attracting development but also fostering development that yeah that currently has potential here and again this is just the initial round of funding think about the layer cake and all the mm -hmm. Skipped over a lot of opportunities with MEDC and Mishka and other organizations that can progress for our grant funds. That's that's a whole other presentation. But think about the layer cake. And what we're trying to do is get the assessment to clear up money to do the cleanup grant or revolving loan funds. And then make sure that you have the right infrastructure in place and tax capture. There are two types of tax capture, local or state. Local is local. You can Environmental activity, state tax capture. Again, you have to be at a community like the St. Rates 
bigger scene and bigger problems. There you can actually use So we're in the process of getting an application together, uploaded uh, onto grants.gov. Uh, we'll find out in the springtime and uh, hopefully be advertising that result far and wide. Uh, and then we'll be focusing on um, both strengthening, you know, bringing the coalition together, getting these processes in place, and also looking for opportunities to strengthen our uh, individual brownfield authorities. Um, throughout our region too, so then they can draw on these other resources, yep. identify projects. More infrastructure will need to set up. Uh, I've, so, you know, I'm volunteering my time to work on the grant application. I've got a lot of experience with EPA mm -hmm. funding. Uh, but we've also engaged two of my former colleagues who are also volunteering their time to help prepare this application. It's, it's a lot of work. So, and the cool thing about this stuff is you win the grant, all that volunteer time gets tracked as what's called an in-kind service. And you can leverage that in the next grant application to say, look at all our volunteer time that we spent. You put a bill right next to it. You add it up. Mm -hmm. That type of stuff is impactful for future funding. Yeah. Right? We want to develop momentum. We want to develop a program, not just win a grant. And that's actually an important thing. I We have a lot of experience administering grants. We've got kind of that infrastructure in place. But without uh, the expectation of expertise of Mark and his team, we really wouldn't be doing this because I don't know what chloride oxide contamination is or any of that. Um, so I don't have that technical expertise that they're really asking for these exams. I've had reports go across my desk in the past two weeks that... Sorry. Yeah, they're not. <laughs> I speak several languages and I can't read them. Um, so that's, it's definitely been a um, partnership and um, we're very excited to see it be re a region-wide partnership drawing on new talent and uh, more deeply rooted knowledge as well. You know what, as a member of the community, I am so stoked. Uh, do you have any questions? On the uh, first part of the program, you mentioned that uh, the federal government is only interested in uh, the Superfund sites. But yep. when you get to the state level, you talk about blighted. How does that interact with this grant? So remember when we went back to the oh. layer cake? We have several different funding mechanisms. The EPA assessment cleanup money. DEQ has assessment cleanup money. A lot, their, their funding comes from various sources. Clean Michigan Initiative, um, EPA, there's another one too. I can't. Anyway, uh, they have funding for that. But again, it's much like the Superfund program where they've got to prioritize the sites. I've worked on several DEQ million dollar cleanup grants. Um, but some of that money's starting to But that's why these other programs are in place. Like, remember the tax capture? If you're in a community like Sioux Saint Marie, you can use tax capture in many cases 
to demolish. And there's there's some asterisks to all this, but for now, this, this is. Yeah. Some of them are operating. It could be a gas station that's yeah. So you're saying blight doesn't show up on that list always? Well, that's that's an interesting point. There are a lot of properties that are abandoned and blighted. And we have no idea what's under the ground. And that's where, if it seems to merit a phase one, um, and then a phase two, and then a BA, uh, hopefully we'd inventory that, find that out. Um, now, if something qualifies as a brownfield just because it you know, meets that definition. Uh, there are all those other tools available. It wouldn't need the phase one, phase two, um, and B, so it wouldn't draw off of this grant application specifically. Um, would they stop you? Yeah. You, if you wanted, if you were, if you were to, to want to deal with blight, you would probably tear the building down. Yeah. And EPA or DEQ wouldn't fund it unless there's a project. That's a really key point. We've got to have redevelopment projects. We've got to have developers knocking on the door. We've got to go find them. Local or they're out of state. I plan to I plan to, to reach out to every developer I know in the Detroit area. Um, I brought one here once, and he saw the opportunity. Didn't work out. It was right around the market crash, but he took his time to come here, and he did a site plan for me. He paid five grand and out of his own pocket. So if he's interested, we can get others interested. On that. about that is, is first using the layer cake can sometimes make these sites actually more profitable to a developer that's in the ultimate goal is to, to level the playing field maybe even with a greenfield site but in some cases you can make them more profitable I think the other thing that I would look at is what's the community strategy what is our master plan say? what's the goal of our DBA where's the strategic fit you, developer, will work with us on one of these sites, you may be able to access other funding, and you're much more likely to get your project approved. Right? See, St. Marie, we think about the, we want to increase enrollment at Lake State University. Let's revitalize our downtown. And developers know that. And also connected to the work that the UP planning group is doing, we've got a target market analysis for housing for the three counties shows demand for certain types of projects that really would only make sense to a developer in a core area. Right? You're not going to build a 500-unit market-rate apartment complex on Bakerside Road.
So that's actually a good, good question. So what I think you're asking is what sites will be included in the grant application? And these sites just demonstrate need. We don't have to assess these sites. Uh, but the question I ask is, what does the community want? You know what sites you want these about, right? You know what your top sites are, your most marketable sites, your biggest eyesores, right? Let's pick the low-hanging fruit first. So we have a list of sites that we got from each county, city, and then Bay Mills didn't have any sites for themselves, but they have a watershed program where they're concerned about watershed or Wishkeep, uh, River, the Rako site is a site they're concerned with. The Kinchlow is a site they're concerned with. So you want to prioritize sites. Do you want some future funding opportunities or contingent on performance of initial award? You want sites you're going to redevelop because if you want more money you got to spend that money and that means job creation and environmental cleanup well that yeah <laughs> from an economic perspective these grants are really economic development tools Oh, for redevelopment. Yeah. Ah. You know, rather than the physical eyesore, could focusing more on general assets. If it makes yeah, if it makes sense to a developer. I mean, mm -hmm. we're not at their whim, right? We have requirements and things we want done, but right. a so developer is going to look at where's my best opportunity. But also talk about the community, what the community wants, and rather you know educate the community about how mm -hmm. Coal dock is in the cannery is in the application. Mm -hmm. Lime piles is in the application. Uh, three waterfront sites the city's been focusing on with a coastal management grant, planning grant. Uh, help me out, Alfred Park, the, remember the marina, and what's the other one? I'm, There's a third one. There are three relatively rural. Uh, so those are three sites. At least two of them are probably the most contaminated. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of a balancing because I think our most of our communities have environmental concern and preservation as a component. Uh, and so there's that. There's, well, what do we envision? And if we really want to build our traditional downtown or things like that, that, that contamination is going to be balanced with that. And then, of course, the developers. So it's really, uh, it might not happen. I mean, I think with projects like these, uh, there's always going to be, oh, wouldn't it be great if they do that just over here in this location? And, you know, it's, it's going to be some compromise. It's going to be um, hopefully getting the best fit for those three aspects. But um, I mean, next, as you start to yeah. build momentum for the program, I'm telling you, the Meyer development is going to bring in some fast flowers to go, oh, they just got that gigantic project approved. Okay, I'm going to come look at them again. Well, I'm going to come look at them for the first time. Mm -hmm. Find those opportunities. We need that infrastructure to be able to do it, right? And others will need it. This, again, this grant is open to, to anyone who, who brings a project mm -hmm. that the community wants. 
The master plan? Not this grant. There's a. Can I have that clicker? Thanks, please. Thank you. Let's go back. I know. Money for that. It really wouldn't necessarily be part of a master plan, but the master plan would be used as the source document for the area-wide plan. And then you're developing a community or region-wide um, brownfield redevelopment strategy. Mm -hmm. So that's when we would look at the sites and which ones are the most marketable, which ones are the most hazardous. I, I demoed a half a million square foot industrial building right in the center of a neighborhood in Jackson. It was a attractive new <coughs> We didn't have a development, but the DEQ let us take a million dollars and tore it down and prepared the patch for a redevelopment. Uh, so that's that's an instance where we didn't have a development, but the site I mean there's abandoned drums and mess. And I know someone will give you a good deal on planning, Dean. Oh, yeah. And we can look at examples of uh, incorporating, it wouldn't be quite the same as like a brownfield plan for um, either a county or a region, but incorporating that into um, you know, future master plans. It probably, like I said, it wouldn't be quite as in depth, but it would at least have it in writing as we want to develop what we already, redevelop what we already have, right? Yeah, cool. Let's suppose you could go there. Well, you, That's true. Ken, you had a question, or did you not?
Oh, the viability of the program? Well, this might need to do a little better. The Republican president-elect, Ralph, was part of it, actually created by Congress, an economic development tool. Do I worry a little bit? Whenever there's a transition, you're always going to be concerned. But we, this program's been going since And I think having the, those priorities laid out, it's going to be up to the coalition for how we decide, are we going to assess and then use those numbers to sell the site, or are we going to um, approach a developer and hopefully work on a project and then say, hey, we can fill out this application that's been developed and get you that those assessments that are required done for free. And that depends on the suitability where that project is um, and what the coalition decides. But I think there's going to be a little bit of column A, column B there. Um, because um, we have communities that have a couple sites that, you know, we want to market these now. And, and this will be something not for every site, but. And we can help with that, getting those, that infrastructure in place. In fact, what I want to do, and I can't commit, but I want to ask some members of the Downward Community Coalition. Yeah. Yes. Three, three years, yeah. And you, 
can apply for an extension. Well, I guess the thing is that I would envision that there would be a lot of learning taking place in the first year. There would be? And, and a lot of some more activity in the second year and third year. Yeah, and I'm hoping to accelerate that learning with just some standard operating procedures as works. But again, it'll be up to you as the coalition to decide what you want to do. These, so I'll only be doing it as a community member for consulting. But here's what's worked. What do you want to see? What do you want to do? But the, the thing is, it's a three-year grant. Yeah. We don't have to have it all suspended. No. In the year. Nope, it's three years. No, it's three years with opportunity extension. You can usually get another year. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think the kind of outreach piece um, would be kind of heavy on the first year. And then the bigger assessment pieces would start in the first year, hopefully, and then kind of continue. Here's the other thing. If it's not, it's going to go great. But let's just say we're not developing the developers that we thought we would. Spend the money and assess those sites. At least get them set up for developers. So that when you come to the table, you can at least put that environmental report in front of them and say, here's environmental concerns. Here's the level of contamination. Now you can hand it to your consultant. He hasn't had a chance yet. <laughs> exactly why, from my perspective, I wanted to see a regional coalition that includes the county. So when I think about that, I think about Detour, Cedarville, St. Ignis, Brimley, and Ross came close. Trout Lake. Curtis. Trout Lake. Uh, Paradise. Brimley. To have a place in Brimley. Drive down to 21 there, and I'm like, both sides, this is perfect, you know. And there are brownfield sites there, right? So that is, um, 
from my perspective, is that's why we needed it to be a regional coalition. Because again, Brimley would never be able to go after one of these grants on their own. But what if they could access the money and they were able to use it to attract and develop and reduce the increased height? And then uh, Paradise did the same thing, right? Uh, so yeah, that's important. And as working in real estate, I'm going to be marketing the whole region. Because I just focus on Sault Ste. Marie or And that's another thing, each, because the uh, Brownfield Redevelopment Authorities are countywide with the exception of Sault Ste. Marie, that the D Redevelopment Authority is the one who sends the representative, uh, but we communicate with all 36 local units of governments, um, or 39 local units of government on, I mean, everything from our directory to invitations to join our REDAC committee, you know, so we're used to kind of that level of outreach and we, I didn't uh, kind of go through on a map and figure out where all the sites that I've kind of listed as examples in the application are, but I know there's one on Drummond, one in Detour, one or two in Cedarville, and yeah, and I'm just moving east, but definitely one in Pickford. I mean, and so I intentionally, to show that this is, this is a regional, well, it could be a regional tool, and um, I would love to see uh, how many small business owners have we talked to that uh, have had to pay um, I think we've, I know one guy, he said, I've shelled out $7,000 for these assessments. And it turned out that his um, uh, BA, he just had to like pave and make sure it wasn't going to, wasn't going to sink any lower. So he just had to make sure people weren't going to interact with it. But it was $7,000. And that's a lot of money for a guy who has three employees. And, um, and, and the other thing to address that just a valid concern is with your coalition, talk about not just having a county representative or a city or tribal representative, if there are township representatives who want to be part of that too, that's up to you. Because you're a member of the, as, as being in the township, you're a member of that coalition. And honestly, I don't want a hundred person meeting every month, but you guys decide what the representation is that you want to make things happen. Yeah, the coalition would have an opportunity to, I guess I've been saying one vote per just because simple yeah, we were um, but the coalition council. itself would decide you guys decide do you have another question And that'll be, I mean, like I said, take the show on the road, have these kind of things where people need to show up, but also making sure that kind of our key point people who are going to be interacting with people who might want to submit an application. So our EDOs, our DDAs, um, generally movers and shakers. Yeah. Um, we'll be doing social media outreach, but making sure 
kind of those baselines are well educated. And then also through Facebook, we've got a, new, a newsletter that's only somewhat defunct. And uh, but we've I'm, we're used to reaching out news releases, all that too. So there will definitely be a uh, overarching effort. Uh, well, not for the coalition. Yeah, well, we can put a. And, uh, but I mean, EUP planning has a website and um, the capability to um, either build an independent one or at least have a page with the information. Trade journals. Any other questions? Uh, Ken? <laughs> no, that was just a. <laughs> Thank you so much. And you know what? The other piece is get involved. Mm -hmm. Get involved. You know, we'll, we'll have ways for you to get involved, but we need community input, we need support, and we need to really develop the buzz for this thing. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah. So thank you again. <laughs>